Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Church, as we move into chapter 6 of Ephesians, um, we gain some wonderful insight into the Apostle Paul's heart. If we'll look at it and we'll study it, and, and yet... As we see the heart of the apostle, we have to do some work. We have to do some work from our text. And you say, why? Well, again, let me jog your memories. In chapters 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Ephesians, it's all about practical ways to live. This is the the practical way to live as a believer once we fully understand chapters 1, 2, and 3. You cannot reverse them. You cannot reverse them. You cannot go, hey, this is how I live. Here's what's going to happen. Look at me. Look at me. A lot of Christians will do behavior modification. This is how I should live. This is how I think I should live without fully understanding the relationship here that that is, is the Lord's. I mean, having a relationship with the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes and you don't mind writing in your Bible or notebook, I want you to write the word understand. Understand. And you go, why? Well, you remember... You remember our teaching um, two weeks ago. Now, th- last week we did a Mother's Day message, um, but today, two weeks ago, we discovered something very important. You go, what's that? Okay, jot this down. Rules, rules without a relationship equals rebellion. Rules without a relationship equals rebellion. We learned that. We also learned that a relationship without rules equals chaos, equals chaos. So if I'm over here and I'm saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to modify my behavior. I'm going to look like a Christian. I'm going to behave like a Christian. I've seen how you behave. That's how I'm going to behave. And I don't have a relationship with God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to breed rebellion because all of a sudden it's going to be, hey, you need to do this. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't like this. And, but if I have a relationship and I don't know what to do, like Paul teaches us in Ephesians, guess what happens? Then it's chaos. I can live however I want to. I can do whatever I want to. I can just, it's just chaos. And so, and so here's the beauty. He says, listen, chapters one through three, here's what God has done. He's reached, oh, you got to get this church. He's reached out and he's wanting a relationship with us. Can I get an amen? No, no, no. Can I get an Amen. Why? Why is that important? Because a relationship is far greater than religion. You see, if we're just religious, look at me, it always breeds rebellion. But a relationship breeds peace. Religion, I've got to do. I've got to, and, it's, and it breeds that. It just breeds rebellion. But we have a relationship. And so Paul says, I've got, I'm going to write to you. I'm going to write to y'all because Paul was texting. I'm going to write to y'all, all y'all. And here's what I'm going to say. You've got to grasp, you've got to understand chapters one, two, three before you can even look at four, five, and six. So we've spent so much time in chapters one to three, but by way of reminder, what has the Lord done for us? What, what, what can we grasp from chapters one? To, what is, what's this relationship all about? Well, first and foremost, let me give you an example. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Notice what it says. It says, and he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What's he saying? Here's, here's what you get. You ready? God chose us for himself before the world was ever created. Now, we don't even choose each other. Oh, you know, I mean, I mean, think about what that looks like. We know exactly who we are, and God goes, no, no, no. Before the foundation, before, before creation, I chose you. I cho- wow. Wow. Dirt, warts and all? Warts and all, God chose us. Then look at, look at one more, Ephesians 1.5. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons in Jesus Christ, to him, according to the good pleasure of his will, guess what he does? He's predestined us to be 
his children. He's predestined us. We're his children. We're his kids. Now, if you've ever, if you had children in here, or you ever had a children, or you ever are a child, you know what we're talking about. It's so amazing to be God's children. It's so cool, right? And it's like, Dad, Abba. But, it, but wait, late night, right? Late night TV. But wait, there's more. Don't order yet. Look at verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of grace. Guess what you get? We, he sent his son to die for us. Therefore, to atone for my sin. Listen, in him we have redemption. I want you to say this. I am redeemed. We're going to get all uh, Pentecostal up in here today. I am redeemed. redeemed. Isn't that awesome? You get that. What would you do? I didn't do anything. I am redeemed. That's it. That's it. Do you deserve to be redeemed? I didn't deserve anything. You know what I deserved? I'm redeemed, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Look over at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him... You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom you have believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Guys, he took the Holy Spirit and he, and he sealed you. Now, here's the key word, forever. Okay, everybody, forever. forever. Sandlot, right? There you go. Where's, where's Anthony? Where's my movie guy? Sandlot, there you go. Forever. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit, he's the one that's going to guide us through life and through death. You see, the Holy Spirit in you is going to go, hey, hey, it's time. You ready to go? And you go, where are we going? He goes, I got you. Let's go. And we transition from just being in this world into the glorious world of God. But it's that same Holy Spirit when we hear the trumpet sound that's going to go, hey, you ready to go? Ah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We were praying the other day on Thursday, and uh, Don, who's not here, Don's phone went off, and it was like a trumpet sound, and I turned over to Joe Harris, and I said, that's the rapture, bro. Let's go. <laughs> it was, you know, it's loud. It's a loud ring, but it was, his phone went off, but it was, anyway, so that I was, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Are you really? How many of you are homesick? Ready to go home? I'm ready to go home. Some of you are like, I'm not. Are you, you're not, listen, wake up. Are you ready to go home? Because home is so much better. It's so much better. So he sealed me with the Holy Spirit. How about this? How about Ephesians 2, 4? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. You know what he did? He made me alive spiritually. He made me alive spiritually. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what you need to jot down. He gave me a purpose. He gave you a purpose. You see, sometimes we go through life and go, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What's my purpose, man? Why? And a lot of times our kids will go, why was I even born? I didn't ask to be born. Why am I here? But God, through the Holy Spirit, is giving you a purpose and a plan for your life. And you got to walk in that, and this is what he gave you. But here's what I want you to see. The key words, guys, is understanding, understanding. Why? Here's why. Listen, when we speak to young children, we have to put the gospel at their level. The little ones really don't understand. They don't get it, okay? Nehemiah, Nehemiah gives us some insight when teaching little ones the Bible. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. At Calvary Chapel, guys, we love our precious little children. We love them. Okay? Our goal for those kids in children's ministry is to be the best fed, most loved kids in all of Lubbock. That's our goal. That's our goal. So, what do we do? We strive in children's ministry to teach them at the level that they'll understand. 
But I'm telling you, kids love to jump and praise the Lord at their level. They love to see it on the screen. The atmosphere in big church is fun for a minute. But once Pastor Ben gets up and starts teaching, you know exactly what the kids do. They tune out. Is he talking? They, and it's not that they can't, but it makes it hard for them to understand. See, you're grown-ups, you're adults. You can comprehend words, but little ones? And, and then here's what they say. You want to go to church? I'm so bored. Is it over? Now, I'm not talking about you big adults either, okay? Don't anybody talk, look at your wife and say, but what does Nehemiah say? Now, Nehemiah is going to talk about kids, but he's going to talk about you too. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. You, could, you should be there, but I'm going to read, or you can watch on the screen. Notice, Nehemiah chapter 8, you should be there. It said, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just outside the water gate. And they asked Pastor Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. Let me stop you right there. The people, come on, come on, church, the people were hungry for God's word. Lord, stir up a hunger in us for your word. Stir up a hunger. The people, it wasn't like, hey, Pastor Ezra, you should start a church. Maybe we'll come. They were telling him, open the word of God. Teach us the word of God. Open the word. We want to know about God. Well, what happened? Verse 2. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included men, women, notice, and all children old enough to understand. Did you guys see that? All children old enough to understand. So he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Obviously, in Nehemiah's day, they're going to bring them, but they wanted to make sure that the kids could understand, understand what the pastor Ezra was talking about and, 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 and comprehend this. Notice, and he faced the square just outside the water gate. From what time, guys? From early morning until noon. From early morning until noon. How long is pastor going to go? I got to make it to the, to, to the restaurant. I, boy, he, you went long. 45 minutes. How'd you like to be? Let, let's do this. Next Sunday, you guys get here at daybreak, and we're going to go till noon. No, uh uh I got stuff to do. We got to have a hunger for the word. But that's what they did, guys. They went from early morning, wow, from early morning to noon. And what did Ezra do? He read out loud for everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood, I'm going to not name all these guys, but if you're ever looking for a name for your baby, here you go. Um, you know, Uriah, Aniah, Shema, Pediah, you know, I don't know if you want to call him that. Michelle, you know, but there's a bunch. They're all his assistant pastors. Verse 5, Ezra stood on the platform in full, full view of the people, and when they saw him open the book, what does that say? Somebody help me. They all rose to their feet. Why are you sitting and I'm standing? Can you imagine? You're, gonna, you're standing from the morning till the noontime. Guys, we've missed it, haven't we? We've missed it. No, 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 no. That's okay. That's okay. But understand, they were so hungry for God's word that they rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and the people chanted, Amen and Amen. Joe, can I get an Amen? amen. There you go. And they lifted their hands, and they bowed, and they worshipped their face. Oh, what a, what a great service that is. But come on. Come on. So what does Paul do? Paul understands the Old Testament. So when he addresses children in verse 1, I'm reminded, and you should be too, that the children in the congregation were old enough to understand. You see, in verse 4, parents are called to teach them in the Bible. Let me say this. Our goal at Calvary Chapel 
guys, is that we would partner with you both here and at home to teach the little ones the word of God. You go, well, Ben, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm saying. Please, please, please don't leave the spiritual growth of your children to the church only. We only have them for a short time. We have them for for an hour and a half on Sunday and an hour and a half on Wednesday. If you come to Wednesday and you go, well, that should be enough. No, no, no. The world has them 24-7. And the world's doing this. The world's doing this. No. So, So what we need to do as a church, we should partner together. And what your kids learn, they should be able to, you should go home and reiterate those things. That's what Paul's doing. That's what Paul wants to say. Now, Before we jump into our text, remember, the key word is understand, but I want to remind you what we talked about two weeks ago. Do you remember? Our text was how to have a godly marriage. How to have a godly marriage. And we talked about the role of the wife. Wives, what are we supposed to do? Submit and respect your own husband. Submit and respect. God has placed him as the head to illustrate the church on how Christ is the head of the church, and we're supposed to be subject to him with love and respect. Well, you don't know my husband. That's not what he said. He said, he said, you know what? You are to what? You are to submit as unto the Lord and respect him. And respect him. That's your role. Now, some of you women are crossing your arms going, well, what does he have to do? Well, he has to do something too, okay? Because God is amazing. Well, what's the role of the husband? It says, husbands, you're to love. That word is agape. Love your wives like Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He was sacrificed for it. We need to be willing to sacrifice, to die, to walk with, to encourage, to pray with, and to pray for. That's the role of the husband. Can you imagine what our city would look like if husbands and wives followed the word of God? Wow. Wow. It's so funny. Um, it's going to be 35 years. Next month, Nathalie and I have been married. 35 years. You can clap for that. That's a good one. Thank you. If I have to tell him to clap, I don't know. And she's probably wanted to kill me 35 years out of all, of the, all, all 35 years, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I met Joseph and Kaylee, and they've only been married a little over a year. They're newlyweds. They're newlyweds. Can you imagine what our world would look like if Joseph and Kaylee said, we're going to follow this. I'm going to love her like this. And all of Joseph's friends would go, ooh, stop loving her like that, bro. That's just, come on, we're men. And, and, then, and Kaylee is submitting right under his arm and says, baby, I love you. Can you imagine what the world would do? They'd be like, but that's what God says. That's what God says. This is what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. If you weren't here two weeks ago, you can get the podcast. So now we come to verses 1 through 9 in chapter 6. Remember, Paul's writing in the same thought. Same thought, okay? And here's what he's going to do. Paul's going to write, this is the role of the child. The child. Okay, this is the role of the child. Now, let's look at it because there's a lot to talk about. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live a long life on the earth. Okay, your attention, please. Paul is addressing the church, but he obviously understands there's some little ones in there, but they were ones that could fully understand what Paul is talking. Why? I got to be honest with you. Paul is at a huge level. As a matter of fact, Peter goes, Paul's so, so up here, I don't even get it sometimes. This is Peter. Peter's like, so, so you've got to understand. So he comes and he goes, hey, children, hey, children, you're children, you're children. He says, obey your parents, obey your parents. And so I started thinking, why is Paul addressing children? Well, most likely it's those who can understand, but here's what I want you to see. I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's a, the, the Greek word just means offspring. So it's, it's, there's, there's nothing like, hmm, hmm. It wasn't like, well, young adult. Obey your parents and the Lord. No, it's, it's offspring. It's offspring. So what's he saying? Paul's looking at the children in church 
And he's asking them right now, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Listen to me, kids. Paul is assuming that you are believers. Paul is assuming you're believers. Mom and dad has raised you. You've given your life to that. And here's what I can say. Listen to me. Children can be solid believers. See, we don't make a big deal when little kids get saved. We don't, uh, I'll get from, from time to time, the kids manage to go, hey, so-and-so gave their life to the Lord. We rejoice when somebody gives their life to the Lord here, but we should be doing it there too because they can be solid believers. You've heard people that go, man, I got saved when I was eight, man. I got saved when I was seven. And you're like, did you really? And they've just followed the Lord. So we know that, that children can be solid believers. Now, I'm not sure what the age is here, but I do know that they have some understanding. Now, why should children, okay, why should believing children obey their parents? You ready? This is right. This is right. Since parents brought the children into the world, and since they have more knowledge and wisdom than the child, it is right that the child obey his parents. Now everybody goes, amen. Can I get a good amen? Amen. But the kids aren't saying that. I can remember when I thought I knew more than my dad. I remember, I was like, he doesn't know. He's old-fashioned. He's back in the 40s. Come on. This is the 80s, right? Well, that's how our kids are today. It's like, my parents don't know that. We do. We just don't tell you what we know. We don't tell you what we know, but we know. We know. And then all of a sudden, they're like, how'd you know? How'd you know? Right? Moms, come on, moms. Moms have eyes and ears all over the place. I'm not kidding. They do. They do. One day, one day, I don't know, Natalie was in the living room. I went over to the cupboard. I was getting some. I don't know how she heard. What are you getting in there? Put those cookies back. How did she know I was getting cookies? She's got eyes everywhere. It's even more with the mom. Moms know. The Word of God declares to us, children, we are to obey the Lord for the same reasons. Why? Well, listen to me. We should obey God because we don't know more than God. Come on. Do you know more than God? How many of us try to counsel God? Oh, hold on, God. Come on, step into my office. Listen, if you would just do this, this, and this, this would work out a lot better. And we try to... I don't know more than God. I don't know more than God. Our lives are in his hand, and so we should obey. We should obey, and that's key. That's key. Now, note with me in verse 2. What happens when we grow... Okay, here here comes the adults. When we grow from being children to adults. To adults. Well, it seems that we must go from obedience to our parents to honoring them. Okay? You're married. You, you know what? I see Rosa and Mary. Rosa honors her mom, but there's a different relationship. When Rosa was little, you obeyed. I hope you obeyed Rosa. She's like, of course I did. I was perfect. But but you see, you see the thing. But see, it, something's changed. Something's changed. Parents, all we can do when our kids grow up, when our kids grow up, is all we can do is try to love them and coach them. And listen, I, I can't tell my daughter, Talia, to do anything. That's not the relationship we have anymore. She's not under my roof. She's not under my covering as a dad. She's under her husband. But I can, she, she has to honor me, so at least, you know, buy me some lunch sometime. I don't, I don't know, but, you know, you go, no, 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 what does it mean? Well, here's the thing. Here's what we should do. Here's the word, guys. Circle that word because it means to prize and to value. To prize and to value. You see, when a child marries, his relationship change, but not his responsibility. Not his responsibility. So what does Paul do? Paul says, listen, okay, so when you're little, when you're little, Obey your parents. This is right. This is right. It's gonna, you're you're going to live a long life. But as you get older, that's going to transition to you honoring them. You're going to honor them. You're going to hold them as high esteem. The word they use is kind of like this diamond. You know how you have it? You're just, oh, it's just, wow, wow. Now, in all of our text, it doesn't say if they're worthy, if, they're, if they deserve it. 
This is our responsibility. We're going to do our very best to honor our parents. We're going to, we're going to hold them. Well, they don't deserve it. I get it. I get some relationships are just not good in your life. And so, but all that you can do as a believer, you're going to honor that. You're going to honor that. It's hard, church. It's hard when your mom or your dad, and they were awful and ugly to you, and all of this stuff, or whatever it might be, whatever circumstances, I don't want to get deep into that, but God has said, hey, listen, honor them as best you can. Honor them. Lift them up. Walk with them. Why? Because we know that Paul is quoting to us from an Old Testament. He's quoting us from, right, from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12. But there's more. So we have some work on verse 3. Why? That it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. Now, we know, we know, we know this is a hard verse. Why? Because all of a sudden we know that we've, they're obedient children who have died. There were children who, who were saying yes and, 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 and somehow, whether it was a childhood cancer or something, they've died. And so you go, wait a minute, Lord. They were obedient. What gives? So, so we've got to do some work. We've got to do some work. So what do we do with this verse? Well, here's what I found. And, and, and Warren Wearsby can say it a lot better, so I'm just going to quote him if you don't mind. Listen to this quote. That thy may be, may be long upon the land which the Lord giveth. This is what he's quoting. This promise originally applied to the Jews as they entered Canaan. But Paul applied it to believers today. He substituted earth for land and tells us that a Christian child who honors his parents can expect two blessings. It may be well with him and he will live long on the earth. Now, he says this, this does not mean that everyone who died young dishonored his parents. He was stating a principle. When children obey their parents in the Lord, they will escape a good deal of sin and the danger and thus avoid things that could threaten or shorten their lives. Everybody understand that? This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you obey, you know what? Listen, there's, it's going to save you from danger. And we all know that. We all know that. And here's what I'm saying. Parents, parents, parents in here. We have to do a good job teaching our children to obey for practical reasons. Why? First and foremost, if they're not going to obey you, someone they can see, how are they going to obey God who they can't see? That's one. But there's practical reasons. You go, practical reasons? Yeah, here, here's a couple. You know this. Hey, don't run into the street. That's a good practical reason, right? The ball goes chasing out. What are you doing? Stop! Why? Because you know that a car could hit him. And if a car hits him, they could die. That's, you with me? So it's a practical reason, right? Um, how about this? Um, look both ways before you cross. Look both ways. Hey, so, so me and Cordy, we'd walk when she was little. We'd walk and we'd get to a corner and she'd want to, she'd want to go. Well, no, no, no. We got to learn. And I would teach her. Hey, look both ways. Okay. And we, we actually came up with a song. It'd be one, two, three, four. What do we do? And if it's clear, she goes, we cross. If a car was coming, she goes, we don't cross. So I'm teaching them that. You teach them that. Parents, you do a good job teaching them to cross the street. Now, again, my dad did a great job, but I still caused a lot of trouble. You go, what do you mean? Well, here's what you don't ever want to do. Don't put the tweezers in electrical sockets. <laughs> was I the only one or did anybody else do that? No, me. Say, oh, did you? Hairpin, see? Oh, only three of us in the whole. You guys are dumb. Hey! No, we're not. Here's some practical advice to be obedient to. Okay? Medicine is not candy. Okay? Those orange chewable tablets, don't eat all those and then replace them with candy. Now you go, now I know what's wrong with you. I know! I must have been about eight. I found, I don't know how I found the thing. They were orange. They were good. <laughs> good. And, and, um, and, and I replaced them. And, uh, I didn't OD. I'm not weird or nothing. 
But you guys get my point, right? You get my point. Those are some, hey, don't, hey, don't do this. That could hurt you. Do you realize, I don't even realize now, that could have been really bad. I don't think the bottle was full at all, but could you imagine? Can you imagine? Here I am, you know. Let me give you another one that happened to me. Don't jump into a pool unless you know how to swim. <laughs> right? Seriously. I'm like, and then I got tired and I was like, bloop. I almost died. Now, right now, all of you are thinking some of the stuff that you did as a child that your parents told you, hey, don't do that because that could, don't, don't do that. So what does Paul say? He's saying, guys, listen, obey your parents. Obey your parents. They, they love you. They want to watch out for you. They don't want you to run into the street. They don't, want, they don't want anything to hurt you. And do you remember when you were kids? Oh, they don't, I just need to be free. They don't, they don't let me do anything. They're just big fuddy duddies. I can't believe that. No, 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 no. They, they, they love us, and, then, and it, it even gets better. It even gets better. That's the role of the child. Obedience, love, in the Lord. In the Lord. A relationship with God. What happens, church, what happens if kids don't have a relationship with their parents? then it's all rebellion. Well, mom and dad are telling me this. I'm going to do opposite. You know what? It should never be that our teenagers do opposite of what we tell them. Well, they're teenagers. They always do opposite. It shouldn't be that way. Biblically, they should go, you know what? I may not like it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because they love me. They're not trying to take the fun out of my life. They love me. There could be a danger in that. There could be a danger in that. So then Paul now says, okay, so we're going we're gonna to live radically. So if we're going to live radically, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Number two, Paul addresses the role of the father in bringing up children. Look at verse four. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training in the admonition of the Lord. Listen, fathers, fathers, fathers. It says fathers are the head of the household. So therefore, they would be the ones to bring the discipline. Okay, this was back in this day. So why would Paul write this? You know, what, what, why? Here's why. In the first century, the Greco-Roman society, fathers had complete authority within the household to administer discipline. We know that things have changed. You cannot wait. Wait till your father gets home. Dad gets home from a long day. He's like, do you know what little Johnny did? <sighs> what? And he's exasperated, and then, and then he, out of anger. And, and, and that's what he's saying. No, 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 no. Paul teaches them, listen, here's what you need to do. Fathers, he says, don't provoke. Don't provoke. You go, what does that mean? Here, jot this down. It means to anger them, to enrage them, to exasperate them. Listen, to nag them. To nag them. That's what the word means. That's what the word means. Paul is teaching them to avoid exercising authority that might cause the children to harbor resentment. Listen to me. This is serious, okay? This is why a lot of men, young and old, are so angry. This is why you're angry. Because our fathers didn't do a great job and we grew up in culture more than we did biblically. And so men, if you're angry, you need to stop and ask why. Why? And I'll tell you, most of the reasons is like, it, it, was, it was real simple. All I wanted was my dad to say he was proud of me. All I wanted was my dad to, to love me. And all he did and all he knew was to exercise and provoke these things out of me. You go, what examples of, of provoke? Well, Al Alford writes this. He's another commentator. Very annoying commands. Very annoying. That would be one. Hey, pick up your room and then you throw socks. Hey, very annoying. That's one. Think about this. Unreasonable blame or punishment. 
That would do it. Unreasonable blame or punishment. Whenever we were raising our girls, we always said that the punishment should fit the crime. Okay? You don't throw the book at them for whatever it might be. But the punishment needs to fit the crime. The punishment. Now, if Nathalie told the girls, hey, you can go play with your friends, but be in by, come back at 1.30. And she gave them fair warning, and they decided to come back at 1.40, 1.45. Well, that's, again, okay, so here's the punishment. You're not going to be able to play with your friends because you didn't obey mom. Now, again, remember, it could go deeper than that because disobedience to parents is always going to lead disobedience to God. And so the punishment has always got to fit the crime. Don't exasperate them. Hey, what did you do? I don't know. You know, I mean, church, listen. Unreasonable blame and punishment? Children are so scared to drop water, to knock over a water, because somebody's going to freak out. And, it, and it's going to be, and it's like, no, 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 no. Or the third one, Alfred writes, and you can jot this down, an unsure temper. You're not sure who you're going to get. It's going to blow up for no reason. Oh, my gosh. Fathers, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, listen, i got to be honest with you. I don't enjoy teaching messages like this because you guys will be here like, I never come back to that church, man. tell, Tell me I'm the way I should be as a dad. I'm not telling you God is. God wants us to be because we represent him. We represent him, guys. Because what will happen? Well, guys, if we have annoying commands and we have unreasonable blame and unreasonable punishment and an unsure temper, the end result will be a disobedient child who's totally discouraged, who's totally angered, and who's totally broken. He's totally broken. Well, what should we do? What should we do? Parents, grandparents, listen up. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. He is arguing this point. You ready? Parents, treat your children as Christ would treat you. Treat your children as Christ would. You can't get away with anything with Christ, can you? If you're going to hurt yourself, the Lord's... uh-uh. He's our dad. He's our Abba. Anybody ever get spanked by God? No, just me? Okay. Thank, thank you. I only have one. Anybody ever get spanked by God? You're suppo- yes, thank you. Man, you're a tough crowd today. We do, but I love that God spanks us. I love when, when I'm not supposed to be doing something. He goes, uh-uh, come here. Oh, oh, oh that, was, that was the Lord. Okay, okay, sorry, Lord, because he loves me. The Bible says that he disciplines those he loves. And if you're being disciplined, you go, oh, man, thank you, Lord. If you're not being disciplined by God, you better step back and check your relationship with him because that's what parents do. But he loves us and he encourages us. And this is what God does. How would Jesus, how would the Lord Jesus treat your child? Well, if they were doing, yeah, loving discipline without wrath or discouragement. Look at it again real quick, guys. Look at it again. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. I want you to see that. But bring them up. Do you guys see that? Underline that in your Bible. Underline that. Why? Because, listen, to bring them up, to bring them up, here's what they should do. To bring them up, circle that. Here's what it means. Nourish and mature them. Nourish and mature them. That's what it means. Paul's giving us an imperative, fathers, as husbands are to do with their wives. To what? He's to bring them to maturity. He's to nourish them spiritually and emotionally. That's what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to bring them up. We've got to see the Word of God for what it is. You go, what is it? Truth. When it comes to the growth of our kids, it should be um, he taught the kids should be taught in the home by parents. It's, listen to me. It should never be that our kids go to college 
and then they feel the freedom and they run off and they just run amok. We got to do it at home. And we got to do it biblically so our kids go, yes. That doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to, they're going to, you know. You guys think I have a lot of white hair because I'm old. I'm not old. And that's okay. And I'll tell you why. We don't condone their bad choices or their mistakes, but it's helped them learn and to be, be just a wonderful guy. But, but our job is to try to control and make sure that they don't go off the path. That's kind of where we're at here. It's our job, parents. It's our job, grandparents. It's our job as a community to help raise our kids. Parents, be careful. You go, what do you mean? We're raising a generation through social media. Listen, in the 80s, television raised me. But it was shows like Mr. Rogers, The Electric Company, you know, some different ones like that. that, that we, I mean, we didn't have cable. That's all that was on Channel 5. But nowadays, it's so abundant. Parents, we have to do a better job because YouTube is raising our kids. You know, um, Facebook, all, all of the stuff. And, and they're doing a really good job. Now, here's the thing. You guys have seen it. You guys have seen it. We're all guilty. The kid's not having it. You stick the phone in front of them. They're watching something. But, but here's the problem. The problem is they're, they're not having any communication with the parents. Okay? But, but that, doesn't, that worries me, but it's even deeper. The, the media people have somehow snuck in things that you don't know about because you're not watching it 24-7. And so, so the kid's watching it and watching it, and all of a sudden they're getting, they're getting all these mixed messages, and you know nothing about it because they said, oh, no, it's child safe. It's, it's, no, this is perfect for you. And so we have to do a better job. We have to go, oh, okay, okay. Well, I went to Calvary Chapel, and that pastor said my kids couldn't watch YouTube. I'm not going back. That's not what I said. What I said is we've got to do a good job of filtering what comes in. We've got to do a better job because, because that's exactly what the enemy of your soul wants to do. He wants to raise our kids on social media, have digital dementia, which means they can't function in the real world. He says, no, it's your job, parents. Bring them up. How? Bring them up to maturity. To maturity. That means that there's some, there's some difficult discussions. I don't like it. No, there's some times where there are hard. There are hard discussions. And we as parents don't get it, go, enjoy talking to our, to our kids and having that, that hard discussion. But we have, to be, we have to do a better job. We have to better, do a better job. Oh, I guess we shouldn't have children then. No, raise them, raise them up godly. We need a lot of quivers, guys. We need a lot of arrows to shoot out. We, we need help. But it's up to us to raise them up, to send them out properly. Properly. Well, Pastor Ben, I, 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 I kind of noticed that at Calvary Chapel, there's, no, there's really no kids in here. Here's why. Our job is to equip you give you a break for a moment so that you can go home and equip them. You have an academic way of learning. You go, oh, okay, 45 minutes, that's you, that's you. You're taking notes, that's you. And then you get them back in the car and then you can teach them. You can teach them. Oh, well, uh, no, we're giving you a break just a minute. Let our teachers teach them and give you a break for just a moment. Let them learn at their level and then you go home and reiterate, but not only today, tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and all of these days, you go, poof. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. What is he saying, church? Listen to me. Nourish. Nourish. Provide for them. Feed them. Love them. Let me just say this. It's not an easy job. If I can be honest and transparent, I have messed up so much raising my kids. 
I have messed up raising my kids. But thank you for his grace. Thank you. So, we say goodbye. We say goodbye to children and parents, and you go, thank God. But now we're going we're gonna to see what's the role of us as employees and employers. And this is going to hit home because hopefully we all have or had a job in here. Um, here it is. Ready? Jot this down. As believers, this is how we should behave at our workplace. This is how we should behave. Look at verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Okay, you ready? The word bond servant there undoubtedly refer to Christian slaves. That's who Paul's writing to, Christian slaves. But we can apply it in our lives to in Christian employees today. Christian employees. But let me give you some history so you understand the text. Um, and then we'll make, we'll make some application. When Paul wrote this, there were 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. So there are 6 million slaves. Um, slavery in this day was, was accepted, was an accepted institution. And nowhere in the New Testament is, is slavery per se attacked or condemned. Although overall, the thrust of the gospel is against it. But you need to understand the context. The context. They, they were slaves. And so Paul's using that word. Now, I want you to see, Paul's ministry was never to overthrow the Roman government or any of the institutions. What was his goal? To preach the gospel and win the lost to Christ. So if masters and slaves got saved for real, then things would begin to change. How so? You ready? The gospel gives you a godly mindset, not a worldly one. So, let's read this with, a 20, with, 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 with our culture in mind, okay? 21st century, 22nd century, whatever century we're in, let's read that. You ready? Here's the role of the employee. Anybody ever work? Anybody ever work? Anybody still working? Anybody not working? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but this goes for ministry too. This goes for ministry. So, so, so let's see, okay? So here's what you do. You put your application in. Oh, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get a job, okay? Put your name and... And, and so they call you to the interview process. And please, if you ever go to an interview, please dress nice. I see these kids going for these, for these and, and it's like, hey, what's up? You got a job for me? You know, you're just like, nah. That's just side. That's just free. You can have that. So how should you get hired? You're hired. You're hired. Hired. Okay. So you show up to work. How should you? Employees, obey your earthly bosses with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. I didn't get one amen on that. Well, I still didn't get an amen. I know what you're doing. You know know my boss. You don't know my boss. No, I don't know your boss, but I know what God says. This is the word of God. As fully devoted followers of Christ to do the will of God with all of your heart. With all of your heart. One night, early on, I've told this story before, but it seems to be, one night early on, Natalie and I were talking, and we had, I don't know how long, we, we hadn't been married very long, but, but I was very upset that my boss not give me the recognition that I deserved. I'm ty- I'm sorry. I am just tired of that. I deserve more money. I deserve a re- I mean, I deserve some recognition. And as true to, as true it is today, she turned to me and she said, "Why do you want recognition for what God is doing in your life?" And I said, "Leave me alone." <laughs> I was mad. She was so right. She's right. Why did I, you know, I was wanting the pat on the back from my employer, but really, who, who was I working for? I was working for God. And so that's basically, this is what you should be doing, church. 
you should obey your earthly boss with deep respect and fear. Now, I know, I know the workplace. I know you have bosses, you have employers. Man, they're hard to handle. They're not nice to you. They're awful. They're ugly. There's, there's all of the, you know, sex stuff. There's all of the, you know, just everything. But you and I, we're supposed to do our very best to give them respect. At least respect the office that they're in. At least go, okay, this is where God put. And if you don't get this, grab this. Your boss, whether you like them or not, your supervisor, that is God's authority over you for, this, for that season. You might win them to Christ. You might, you might, you know, I mean, whatever the Lord needs, that's what you say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. If you cannot respect them, then it's time that maybe you find another job. I just can't, Pastor. I just can't. My bosses, then you need to get out of that situation. But we've, we've, we've come into a place in the world where we go, you know what, I have a better idea. Let me go above their head. Let me go above their heads and let me get them fired and blah, 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 blah. That's not what Paul is teaching us. Paul is saying, as unto Christ. As unto Christ. I want you to think about this for just a moment. At Calvary Chapel, Pastor Ben doesn't have a direct boss, except for God. You understand that. I have to answer to God, which is really weird because God doesn't come in on Monday morning and go, hey, let me see the work that you did. How was your, work? How was your sermon yesterday? Oh, well, you could have worked. He doesn't give me those pointers. He expects me to do my very best for him in Scripture. He expects me. He doesn't expect me to snuff on the clock. He expects me to work. Now, now listen, you got to understand this, okay? Several years ago, I finally got to the place where I could come to church full-time. Now, I was, I was preaching two services. I was preaching on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday, still working a full-time job. I was studying whenever I could. It was, it was just a lot. And so finally, I got to the place where I could come on staff. And the first week, I felt so guilty because I was sitting here going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm, I feel like, <laughs> okay, I'll read the Bible again. And then that went away and it got busy. And you're doing stuff, you're doing stuff, and you're ministering, and you're doing stuff. But we honor God in the same way. We honor God. Who are you really working for, church? Christ. Yeah, you're working for God. You're working for God. Paul says, point number two, don't only work hard when the boss is around. Oh, there's the boss. Hey, boss, how you doing? Yeah, doing good, man. Yeah, Oof. Right? He says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, work hard even when he's not around. You know what your employee, you know what your, you know what your co-workers will do? Hey, man, what are you doing? Let's... Hey, the boss isn't here. You guys know this. Every one of us, and you, every one of us, man, hey, guess what? The boss left for the week. All right. He's out of town. Woo, we can relax a little bit. All right. Hey, why don't you go to the Sonic and get some stuff, man? Get, get some Frosties. That'd be cool. We'll just chill. That's not what God calls us to do. He's very practical. What does he say? He says work. Just work. Not with eye service, guys. Not with eye. God is still watching. God is still watching. Too many people snuff on the clock when boss is not around, take too many frequent breaks, and yet the Word of God has called every one of us to be different. To be different. If your boss, your employer, is paying you for eight hours, work eight hours. Go above and beyond. What a great testimony that is for the Lord. Because you're coming in and you're going, hey, I'm a believer. That sounded like that monkey song, huh? Hey, I'm a believer. But anyway, you go, hey, I'm a believer. Everybody's watching you now. 
Everybody's watching you. And she go, hey, you're a believer? You're a believer. Yeah. And they're working hard. Yeah. Yeah. Bosses around? Doesn't matter. I want to do my job. That's the kind of believer I want to be. That's the kind of believer. Let me give you this principle to you because the Lord put it in my mind. Don't know why he put it in my mind, but it has to do with sports. And I use it to this day. When I was in high school, in high school basketball, we had to do, uh, we had this weird, I don't, even, I don't even see it anymore, but it was to get our calves strong. And so you had to do this. Okay, so here's what they said. Hey, you need to shoot free throws. Okay, and for every free throw you miss, you had to run a sprint and run back. So they'd make us do these things just to really build our legs up. And then you went and your legs are shaking like this and you'd shoot the ball. And if you made it, great. I think you, you had a one and one So you had two shots. I'm, I'm getting to the principle. So your legs are hurting. And so you go and, you're like, and you shoot. And if you made it, all right. If you made two of them, then you got back into the line. Now, if you missed, you had to run a sprint. You guys with me? Okay, so, so you're, and you missed, okay, how many, it's between one and two, I missed both of them, so now I had to run a sprint and run back, so that would, everybody understand that, right? So a friend of mine, I sit there, and my legs, you know, we did the whole thing, and he was, he was in front of me, and he sat there, and he was, and he made one, and he made two, and then he took off, and he ran, I said, hey, I come back, I said, no, you don't understand the rules. He said, I said, you only run if you miss. And you know what he said? I only get better. I only get better. It wasn't about the rules. It was about me getting better. And, and, and the principle was so clear to me that I was like, you know what? Wow. So at work, it's not about the rules. It's about how you can represent and glorify God. And somebody goes, wow, I want to do that. Thank you for being a great, thank you for being a great employee. Thank you for being a great employee. Man, you work eight hours. I work eight and a half hours. Why? I work nine hours, but God, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Yeah, but you don't understand. No, no, no. Here's why. Remember that the Lord is going to reward each of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. He's going to reward us. But I love the principle of that guy. He showed me something. I was so blown away. I was like, oh, you know, you know who, is going to, who is going to be in better shape in the coming season? It didn't matter if we made it. He wanted, Oh, what a great lesson. I've learned that to this day. I've learned that to this day. What's going to make me better? What's going to glorify God? That's what I need to see. What I need to see. The Lord's going to take care of it at the end of the day anyway, is he not? He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. That's the role of employee. And you guys got really quiet, so I'm really nervous. So I'm going to close this down, okay? I'm going to close this with the role of the employer. Maybe you're in here and you're a supervisor. Okay? You're the boss. You are the supervisor. You are the boss. What are you supposed to do? Look at verse 9. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing your own master also in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So here's the deal. Employers, bosses, supervisors, here's what God is telling you. Treat your employees the same way. Don't abuse them and don't threaten them. Don't we hate that, employees? We can't work when we're threatened. Well, if you don't do that, you're going to, I don't know, you might be out of here. Oh, I mean, that's, I, I might as well start looking for another job. No, 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 no. That's not what we're supposed to do. Don't threaten them. And he says, why? As believers, you work for God the Father. So as you're an employer, you have a master. And guess what? He makes no distinguishing between you and them. You're all the same to him. He's just blessed you with that supervisor job. 
you should be such a good supervisor that you can fire an employee and they thank you for it. Not, you go, yeah, he's like, what are you talking about? That you have been such a good relationship that you go, hey, listen, this job really isn't for you. Here are your gift sets. Here's what you want to do. You know, this is what I think you really should do. Wow, you know what? You're so right. Thank you so much. I felt trapped in this job and I wasn't to my full potential. Thank you. And it's not the fire like, you, you can leave. Take, you know, we, we want to have that. We want to be that supervisor that you can fire someone and they thank you for it. And you still have a relationship. And you go to the store and you see them. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? You do- Man, you won't believe that. You won't believe. You won't believe. Some of us, honestly, had to get fired from a job so that we could do something that we really loved, our passion or whatever it might be. Because some of us were taught, and this is how I was taught. I love my dad to death. He's in heaven now. But my dad said, you get a job and you stay there no matter what. I would be trapped in a, ugh. And I rebelled against my dad. I was like, no, Lord, there's a whole world out there. I don't want, but that was his mentality. And he had been through a very hardship with, with his jobs growing, growing up. And so he told me, get a job, stay there, no matter what. No matter what. And so whatever it was. But it's like, no, you know what? Sometimes I had to get fired. So I go, oh, now I can go pursue what God is telling me to do. Or I can pursue what's my passion and do that. I do that. As an employer, let me leave you with four things that we should do as a workplace, as a boss. Number one, seek your employees' welfare. Seek your employees' welfare. Do the same thing, do the same things to them. If an employer expects workers to do their best for him, he must do their best for them. Let me give you this example, Boaz. Do you guys remember Boaz? Boaz had all these fields, Ruth was in it, but guess what? Guess what? People, his workers loved Boaz. Boaz was a generous boss. They saw him coming in. They weren't snuffing on the clock. They weren't trying to cut corners. They loved Boaz. Boaz was a great godly man. And that's the kind of supervisor or boss we should be. Number two, don't threaten your employees. People don't work well when they feel insecure. You may feel like you have the right, but lay that aside. All you need to do is what? Performance evaluation, expectations. Walk with them. Hey, this is where we're at. This is what's going on. This is it. Don't threaten don't threaten. Don't threaten. We should be doing everything we can to try to, what? Get production out of employees and help them where they need to be. And sometimes it's not where they're supposed to be. And sometimes it's not. It's like, hey, this is not for you. This is not for you. But don't threaten them. Listen, if you don't bring in 15 sales this week, I don't know, you might not have a job next week. Well, guess what? I'm going to start looking right now. I'm not going to feel motivated. We know that. Number three, as an employer, be submitted to the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says we have a master in heaven. We have a master in heaven. He's over us. I submit to you, Lord. And number four, don't play favorites. Don't play favorites. There's no partiality with God. I know some workers are better than others, and I know some people play favorites, but if you're, in a, if you're a boss here, everyone is on the same playing field, and, and this is how we should be when it comes to the Lord. Lord, it's completely, it's completely. Now, listen to me. As we go to close, this is not an exhaustive study. We could have spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks just talking about what it should be, children and all this, but let's remember the principle that God has taught us today. Honor your father and your mother. Work with your children. Bless them. If you're, if you're an employee, work hard for your boss. Let them see the glory of the Lord. Let them see the glory of the Lord. If you're an employer, love your employees, man. Build them up. Build them up. Don't threaten them. All the principles we talked about. Can I get an amen? amen. Father, we thank you today. Lord, your word is so practical. And Lord, my people here, your people, they're very quiet. So I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move mightily. And, uh, and just, just remind us that, that, with, that with rules like this and what you've called us to do without a relationship, God, then, 
then we're, we're not going to do it. We're going to rebel. We're going to be like, well, you don't know my boss. You don't know this. You don't know that. You don't understand. But with a relationship with you, Lord, I want to, I want to, everything I want to give my life to you. I want to, I want to do what you've called me to do. And wherever I am, Lord, and, and again, Lord, when we teach verse by verse, Lord, we go through the whole counsel of God and Paul found it in there to write that this is what we need to do. So we thank you. We thank you for God's word. Hey, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I never want to leave an opportunity to invite you into the family of God. Maybe you're here, and to be honest, you're not saved. You're not saved. And as I was preaching, you were hearing some stuff, and you go, yeah, well, Paul's preaching to a believer. Pastor Ben, I don't think I'm a believer. As a matter of fact, you were saying some stuff, and I was like, man, I don't think I have a relationship like that. Listen to me. You're at church for a reason, and God brought you here. And if you're not saved, here's what God's doing. He's opening his arms so wide so that you would walk in it. And see, apart from his will, man, you're far from him. And I told you earlier in the meeting that, that God had a plan and a purpose for your life, but, but if you're not following him, guess what? You can't walk in that. Yeah, pastor, but, but I, feel like I'm, I'm, I just feel like I'm a million miles away from God inside my heart. I mean, you can't tell because I'm a happy-go-lucky person, but well, maybe you feel like you're a million miles away, but you're one decision from coming back to him. All you have to do is open up your heart and say yes to him. You go, Pastor, what do I have to do? Well, in a second, I'm going to just offer you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you're interested in, by faith, asking Jesus to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, to remove all the guilt you've had, and to give you a new life, a new opportunity. But more importantly, to, to spend eternity with him. But you've got to do it. No one else can do it for you. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, very quickly, how many of you here would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to be right with God. And I heard the words, and I'm, I'm ready to surrender. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to God. Is there anyone here right now? And I know, I know it's hard because you're like, man, what are people going to think? People thought I was a Christian. Just, it's okay. All you have to do is just go, Pastor, nobody's going to see. I'm, I'm lifting my hand. Hey, maybe you're watching online. You can just lift up your hand where you are if you're listening via podcast. Just, just simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I'm so far from you. But I believe you died for me, Lord. I believe you died on the cross, Lord. I really do. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you were buried, Lord, and, and, and that you resurrected on the third day. And I believe, Lord, that, that uh, the only way to get to heaven is through you. And so I need a relationship, Lord. I need a relationship with you. I'm not going to make it on my own. So I'm asking you to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my God and be my Savior, but also be my friend. For I choose this day to follow you forever. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.